Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Beyond the Crucible. Life is like a mosaic, right? And you guys know a classic mosaic, when you look up close, it looks like a bunch of random photos. Why does this go here? And why does that go there? It doesn't make any sense. But when you pan backwards, that picture is perfect. And I learned very quickly early on that my cerebral palsy, my imperfection, if you took that out of my picture, my picture would be incomplete. And I want people to realize that those there is purpose in our pain. There's a reason we go through it. If it was easy, why is the test in testimony? I know that sounds cliche, but that's the point. It's not supposed to be easy. All the great successes, work, yourself included, all the great successes come from tragedy first. And tragedy gets turned into a triumph. Tragedy into triumph. You've heard us use those very words, spoken here by our guest, Tyler Sexton, scores of times, because we know from experience that it's not only possible to turn what's broken into breakthrough, but that brokenness is often a key ingredient of the breakthrough. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. Sexton's brokenness came courtesy of cerebral palsy, a condition that has forced him to endure 18 surgeries and decades of insults and being regarded as incapable of doing much more with his life than sharpening pencils. Well, Dr. Tyler Sexton has proven the taunters and doubters wrong. He's become a pediatrician who can connect with the children he treats because of his crucibles, using his skills and experience to not just treat their bodies, but to plant hope in their spirits. The philosophy he's lived by and encourages others to adopt is rooted in what he's discovered is a life-changing truth. There's always something to be thankful for. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Your story is inspiring. I really enjoyed just learning a bit about you. So we often, when we start off with guests, ask about the backstory before the crucible, but there really isn't life before the crucible, if you will. I mean, so just talk about, you know, I don't want to say your earliest memories because some of those earliest moments you obviously wouldn't remember unless you can remember when you were a couple days old. So just talk about those moments as your mom has related them to you and just those uh, those early times in life in which you know, just straight out of the get-go, life was challenging. Sure. Well, I got to say again, what an honor it is to be with you guys. And I'm excited because you're right. I don't think, you know, my entire story is everyone's got a, a unique story, but my story has been a crucible in its entirety. I mean, that's that's where it's always been. And it started for me uh, with my parents. Um, I was a 28-weeker. And of course, you know, my parents were young and they expected to have uh, a picket fence, a white picket fence, kind of a perfect, uh, you know, a perfect birth. And obviously that didn't occur. And um, when I came out, they told my parents that they would keep my body warm so they could hold me for the first and last time before they buried me. Uh, there wasn't any hope for my survival. They said that if I did survive, that I'd be mentally and physically disabled and never walk. Uh, one doctor said I could sharpen pencils for a living. One just said, you should go home and let Tyler die because he's not going to live up to anything. And of course, thank God for my parents, you know, they believed in the the importance of, of life and, um, and to give everybody the, the chance that they deserve. And they were all fearfully and wonderfully made. And I was in the NICU and I was fighting for my life as we watched 
as my parents watched, um, babies lose the fight every day. That was a real concern, right? And um, I spent over 12 weeks in the NICU uh, and uh, got to go home. And if we fast forward, as I got to go home and do those things, by the time I was 18 months old, I still couldn't sit up. So obviously my parents knew something was very wrong. I would combat crawl. I couldn't get around. And I was brought to my pediatrician who then took me to a neurologist and I was uh, diagnosed with cerebral palsy. I'm a spastic diaphalegic, which means from the waist down, I'm affected the most. Um, you know, it's the most common type of cerebral palsy uh, that kids can get when they're uh, exceptionally low birth preemies like I was. And I've had um, 18 surgeries. Um, and I have been through my entire life has been a cycle of no's. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. And I've learned that people say no and God says yes. And I've made my life uh, overcoming obstacles to show people it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. And it's about taking your circumstances um, and turning them into, you know, what your stumbling blocks, what the world would call stumbling blocks. And if you look at me, if I stood up, you know, I have a service dog. I, I walk funny. I walk with a limp. The world uh, would sometimes cast me out, right? We all have those kind of stories, but I'm not the picture of perfection that the world will see. But somebody thought me better. Uh, and God, uh, you know, has worth for all of us. And he uses my disability to help bring hope to others. And I've embraced that. And it's been, a, it's been quite the journey. So let's just talk about those early days. And obviously, I'm sure your parents have told you stories. And I think there's one, you know, early moments where, you know, every mother wants to hold their baby, their new, you know, young son or daughter. And your mom couldn't. She had to kind of stick a hand through a, you know, a, a sort of panel to get you in, in the sort of the, when you were in the, in the NICU and in some incubator. Um, just, Talk about those early moments, how your parents handled that. There must have been a sense of, uh, you know, we weren't expecting this. And, you know, the, the first few days, first 18 months, just talk about how your parents sort of processed the challenges that they were having. So talk a bit about well, who they are and who they were and, and just how they handled the challenges that they were faced with this little baby. Sure. That's a great question. I'll tell you, my parents are incredible. And one thing I, I've always told people that they dared me to dream instead of looking at the next medical miracle. And when you look, when you, when you go back, you know, uh, you know, nearly 40 years ago, you know, there was no guidebook on how to do this. So like you said, I was in the NICU and you couldn't touch my body. My body was swollen with toxemia poisoning. I had uh, uremia and I had trouble urinating and I had two chest tubes and Every tube that you could imagine was out of my body. If you ever get to look at my website or see those, there's old pictures of me uh, that are the classic old Polaroids. And it literally is a swollen bean that it's just with with tubes coming out of every orifice, literally every hole that the body can have, I had a hole in. I mean, I had, I had a tube in, right? You know, I think I think for me, the one thing I learned from from them as parents, they were, you know, 20, 21 years old when they had me, both of them, you know, and um, there's no guidebook. And you look at people and you're desperately looking for hope, right? Holding on to it with your fingernails. And you look and they look at doctors and everybody has this, and, you know, and being a pediatrician doesn't make me a better father, but being a father makes me a better pediatrician. And, you know, I'm a pediatrician now, and that story is going to come a little bit later. But, you know, I think back now, and since I do this for a living as well with these NICU babies, and I, I've walked in the very footsteps that I was born into. Um, I innovate the 23, 24, 28 weekers that other people would not, maybe not be able to. And of course, there's others around the country that can. But the point is, is that my parents were looking for hope. And it's amazing because you, you expect to go to the doctor 
to be taken care of. And the only time it's fun to be in the hospital is when you're having a baby, right? I mean, that, that, that's the only time. So, you know, these, these parents are expecting an incredible time. Let's go to the hospital. Let's have a baby. And of course that didn't happen for my parents. And my mother was a wreck. And of course it was all her fault, right? That's what she thought. What did I do wrong? I'm being punished. God doesn't love me. We're imperfect. The mistakes were made. And it's incredible because those are the things my mom taught me and, and we share with it um, in, our, in our book and when we speak, just how hopeless they felt and how much you look for hope in things that cannot find hope. And I don't want to make it like some past platitudes, but I'll tell you, that's where faith for them became real. Because you look back, there is no reason that I sit here and talk to you guys today without the power of what Christ has done in our lives. And it wasn't that we had everything figured out, but there was nowhere to turn but prayer. Because every moment, every day, every hour, in the first three weeks, every hour, the fact that we would they would praise and be thankful for one drop, and that's not an exaggeration, I mean one cc, one drop of urine, just to show that my kidneys weren't shutting down, right? And so you think, what we learned is, I always say a lot, that you have to walk the rocks to see the mountain views. And the mountaintops are nice because you get to see a lot of scenery, but the valleys are where we grow and where we're tested. And every day, we were my parents were walking rocks, blade by blade, brick by brick, stone by stone, and just hoping for one drop of urine, right? One spontaneous breath that I could take means that's one less time the ventilator breathes for me. And so what was that going to mean? And so not only just fighting for your life, but then on top of that, you hear all the negatives of, well, Tyler's not going to do anything. Why fight for this boy? Because he's not going to speak. He's not going to walk. He's not going to be worth anything. And that's something that I, that I, it profoundly has impacted me the older that I got just to have my parents see the value in me, to have somebody else fight for me. We were all here, yes, on what God has done and on the crucible of our own lives to galvanize our faith, but we're all here on the success or the belief of others also, right? And that's what taught me. My parents were that critical point that they believed enough in me to fight for me. And that, that belief, that desire transcended after the NICU, my parents went home and they mourned the loss of a normal child. They shut every window, my mom did, shut every window and door, and she cried, and she was sorrowful for a week. It's not wrong to be sad. You know, I say this a lot, and I know my mom does too. They didn't know we were raising a child, you know, who's an MD. We're raising a child that ended up having CP. We didn't know what it was going to be. They had me living in a home, never getting married, never doing anything, and they mourned the loss of a normal child. But then my mother made a choice. A week or so out, she said, you know what? He may never play on a basketball team, but he may own one. He may never do this but he may do that. And they made a personal choice and say, we're going to make the best of this situation no matter what and take it day by day. And so that was the journey. And that was instilled in me, even at, at you know, at a year old, I remember as young as now, um, like two years old, I know this sounds crazy, but I remember being pushed and, and my parents would, I would say, you know, can I get juice or something at three years old? And they say something wrong with your legs. I would say cerebral palsy, you know, CP or whatnot. So we never let it be a, yeah, we never let it be a, a negative. We, we let it be, um, a positive and we, we faced it head on. And I'll tell you, and this is not for drama by any means, my entire life until I was 16 years old, I was in a hospital. And not only that from the age from, from, from zero to seven years old, I was in the hospital for days and days and days and had numerous surgeries, three, four, five surgeries a year in that period. All I knew 
was the hospital bed. I didn't have any, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody. The only people that I had were my parents and they were the only value system and the only person that ever saw value in me because the world, and this is not to make anybody feel bad. And you're going to learn this further in my story as we talk and I'm excited, but the world didn't like trash or thought I should say, and I say this, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, callous, but the world thought me as junk. And that's a fact. And it only got worse the older I got. But see, my value doesn't come from people. It comes from something higher. And that's what I had learned very quickly. And my parents instilled that in me. And that changed the that changed my entire perspective, my entire course of uh, my destiny. And I know that because of my disability, it gives me credibility. Because of my circumstances, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if I didn't go through what I've been through. And I want parents and I want people to realize to embrace that that, um, you know, struggle to embrace, um, that issue because that greatest handicapped is the greatest thing that transformed my life. And I wouldn't be who I am today without it. Well, you know, that is really inspiring, Tyler. I mean, I, I want to talk about just a few more beats, uh, before we get to, um, kind of what you do as a doctor and, um, some of the other remarkable things, you know, it's amazing how cruel, I mean, yes, adults can be cruel, but kids, especially. And I think one of the things you write about is just the names people called you because you, you know, the playground, because you walk funny. And, you know, I think that was there like a physical education teacher or said, you know, mocked you or something. I mean, it's just, it's hard to believe how cruel can, people can be. So just talk about what it was like growing up at school with kids and teachers. And it feels like there wasn't a whole lot of grace. There was a lot of teasing and judgment and cruelty. And I mean, it's, I don't know. It shouldn't be surprising, but I guess it's so sad. So just talk about what was life like for a young Tyler. I was lonely. That's all I can say at first. Lonely. I hadn't. I had very few friends. And this is again not to make anybody feel bad. Because you're right. I often thought, you know, the older I got, the worse it got. As a young child, it was all well. Look at the, you know, I'm gonna say it like this: when they're all babies, say, oh, they're they're cute, they're wonderful. But then all of a sudden, those crippled kids grow up, and you don't want them around. And so I was. I was ostracized on an island, and so are my parents, what we struggled with, because I tell people often, you know, come out of your comfort zone and come walk in mine. I just wanted to be included. I would have given anything for a high five or a hug to tell me I'm worth something. And I tell people all the time, you don't know what just acknowledging somebody's existence meant. Matter of fact, you know, the story that hit me, I mean, I got made fun of every day that I was in school in some capacity, whether it be by a teacher, which is amazing. Like in the case of the physical you know, education teacher, I was doing my jumping jacks and I was trying my clumsy attempts of palsy jumping jacks. And he shouted out in front of everybody. He said, Hey kid, you're in third grade. Is that the best you can do? Quit climbing around. And that was the best that I could do. I was broken. I was beaten. And I went home that day and I told my mom, I didn't want to be me anymore. And this is one of the things she took me to my room and she sat me on my bed and she started throwing everything out of my room. I mean, everything, my toys, my pictures, my Nintendo. Who doesn't love a Nintendo? Am I right? Threw it all out. And she said, what can't I take away from you? I said, I don't know. I started to cry angrily, bitterly. The, my little sweet potato, the one person that I didn't get made fun of, that I, that I did find value in, betrayed me. So I thought. And she said, well, I can't take away who God made you and the spirit he gave you, that you're alive and you're you and you have something to do. And I took that and I just, I embraced it. And and I didn't have any, I didn't have all the answers by any means. Uh, I didn't you know, no, but I just believed that I was special. And, you know, that kind of transcended every time. I mean, I've been beaten up. I've had, I've been kicked in the, 
the teeth kicked in the in the gut. I've been like a bowling pin. Kids would roll basketballs on my feet and watch me fall and just laugh around me. And I would try to get up and they push me down. Those things happen. Now, on the other side, people did protect me. I had a couple of friends. I'm not saying that I had an incredible, um, you know, elementary and middle school age uh, time as well. And there were, you know, lessons learned. But work, like you said, I have a lot more sorrow to share than I would have had if I chose to, than I would have the uh, victories till later, right? And I, I have learned that, you know, uh, that you can't, you, you can't live there. And I'll tell you another great uh, truth that my parents taught me came down to, uh, again, to my mom. And my dad was incredible, but my mom and I were just, we're just, she's my little sweet potato. We're just so connected. And one of the things my mom was doing, because of all these stories or, or you know, glimpses I'm giving you into my, into my early childhood, my mom was afraid to let me do anything. She was a helicopter mom, right? Because if I let Tyler go out, he's going to come back with a black eye. I'm going to get, you know, make fun of at school uh, or do something like that. And, you know, there's many people in our lives, I'll tell you, that I call it a ripple effect, like a pebble in a pond. You you drop a pebble, right? And, and that ripple effect goes out. And you don't really know what those ripples will really do down the line. And one of the people that really have been a ripple in my life was my physical therapist named Michelle Larson. And she um, challenged my mother time. And she said, Lisa, my mom's name is Lisa. And she said, Lisa, you need to let Tyler get out and do more things. You need to let Tyler get out and be with the other kids. If I could teach him how to bend over and pick up an Easter egg and put in a basket or pick up an object, will you take him to the Easter egg, you know, hunt at, at North city park? And my mom was like, well, yeah, if you can teach him to do that, I'll let you do it. Now you got to remember, you know, learning how to pick up an object and put it in a basket or do those things is extremely difficult. I had to learn how to even wipe myself and not falling off the toilet was a small miracle, right? Because I had, I didn't have the trunk control. I, I couldn't, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. And so my parents, you know, my mom specifically probably didn't really believe that. She said, sure, if you can teach him that, that's fine. And so my physical therapist, we went through a, a six month intensive and she brought me with some juicy fruit, my favorite gum back in the day. And I learned how to <laughs> bend over and pick up an object and put it into a basket. And by that time, so finally I did it. And so the, the time came for this Easter egg hunt. And all of a sudden, my parents take me, my mom takes me, and we're all lined up. And there are thousands of eggs in this field. And there are, there are hundreds of kids. And there are thousands of eggs. And all of a sudden, the gun goes off. And all the kids go running. And I was left behind. And all of a sudden, my mom, she starts to cry angrily, bitterly. She says, see, this is exactly why I don't let Tyler go out and do anything. This is exactly why I don't let the crippled kid go out there because he's going to go home and he's going to have no eggs in his Easter egg basket. This is why he shouldn't be allowed with people. And she walked over, her eyes full of tears, to apologize for bringing me. She looked down at me, looked down at my basket. My basket was overflowing with eggs. She said, how in the world is your basket overflowing with eggs? I said, the kids are running so fast, their eggs are popping out of the baskets. I'm bending over and picking them up and putting them in mine. <laughs> and as clear as day, at that moment, it wasn't something out of the sky. It wasn't something crazy, but there was a promise made. It's from the Lord. We believe it to this day, and it's tra it's it's followed me my entire career. If you just let me have him, I will fill his basket with blessings. He's not always going to be first. He's not going to be perfect, but you're going to learn that these small blessings, day by day, I'm going to take care of them. And I believe that's important for all of us. That if I, you know, it talks about his word being a lamp unto our feet. It's not a spotlight or a fog light. If I knew exactly what I'm doing to now, as we, as we recount my story and I get to share my story with you all, if I knew what I went through to get to where I'm at, I would have never taken the first steps, even learn how to walk on my own. Never. Cause it's too hard, but I didn't know. So one day at a time, step-by-step, step, God just showed up and said, one more step, Tyler, one more hurdle, one more time. He did it. And here I sit. And I'm telling you, 
it has changed my life because I've just said, I know as a doctor and I intend to use, I am anointed to be a doctor and to bring hope. It's to anyone that hears me, but especially special needs children and kids across the world and their parents to know that there is a purpose and a plan in the pain. And I'm going to teach you to dance with the limp. And that limp is going to define you, but it's going to give you more opportunities than you could ever dream. And that's been the truth in my entire life. You know, that that story you're sharing is remarkable. It feels like it really is a parable. You know, it's like a real life biblical parable that you were sharing. Of, sure. You know, um, and what's amazing is you had a six month training intensive just to go to an Easter egg hunt. That's not common. Right. You know, nobody says, hey, mom, there's an Easter egg hunt in six months. I got to get into training. It's just nobody's <laughs> thinking that way. But for you, that was reality. And just the fact that you were smart enough to pick up the Easter eggs that the other kids dropped and just that this feeling, the, the sense that the Lord is going to honor that and fill your basket. It's just, that's a remarkable story. I mean, people don't appreciate life. The amount of work you had to do for something that would be so easy and common and, quote, normal for most kids is astounding. But it feels like there were some key moments that really changed the trajectory of your life. The one you just shared when your mom just threw out everything from your room and um, and just said, you know, I can't, I can't take away uh, who God made you to be and the spirit he gave you. And then just that story you, you mentioned about the Easter egg hunt. It seems like as we shift maybe to sort of the next episode in life when you wanted to go to medical school, there were touch points that sort of changed the trajectory of your life, changed your the way you looked at life. Does that make sense? It does. And and you're right. As as we move as we move forward, now I can look back and say what's so incredible and what I'm so thankful for. It's how God had radical moments in my life to emblazon or to galvanize me for the next step. Because I I look back, if you're telling me about well, this guy's insane how he's talking, right? This guy's a nut because he's saying he's thankful for the, for the crucible. He's thankful for the craziness. He's thankful for the pain. Yeah, I am. I legitimately am because it taught me to trust in something greater. But the, when I look back on it, I'm not going to lie to you. There were days that I cried myself to sleep and begged God to either take me or heal me or leave me alone. And I hope you see the true authenticity in what I'm telling you, because that's what it is. Because I learned something very quickly in my life was something called radical authenticity. And I try to live by it every day because I knew if I didn't fully rely on something bigger than myself and truly step out there, it ain't getting done. And it was hard because every time. So I would go off to high school. And I mean, all I ever wanted to be was be liked by a girl, right? As we all do. That's a normal, I mean, that's a normal thing. I just wanted to have a date and all these things. And no one wanted to handicap guy around, not for a date. You know, it's all, oh, it's all sweet. And then, okay, that. And then you go off to, you know, you go off to college. And I thought, I thought the older I got, the easier it would get. And the truth is, when you talk about getting made fun of and all these things, the older I got, the worse it got. I got made fun of worse the older I got. For example, going off to college, for example, I thought, well, college is going to be easy because everybody's crazy in college. You can sit in the corner seeking enlightenment, half naked, eating Cheetos, and that's not, you know, you do whatever you want. I just walk a little funny, right? They ain't going to bother me. I just, I just walk funny. I got made fun of every moment uh, that I was on that college campus. Uh, matter of fact, I worked so hard to learn how to walk, I didn't want to use a wheelchair. Right. And, you know, because as, as great as it is, I didn't want to use a wheelchair, you know, and 
don't know if you guys remember that old commercial uh, where the old people are on the Grand Canyon. They say, I got my free rascal and they got their rascal scooter, right? right. It's not as enamorous when you're 18 years old in college using a rascal scooter to get around. And uh, I used a Segway, the thing that President Bush fell off of to get around. And at the <laughs> time, too, I uh, had a service dog. Uh, and that's a story in itself. But but the Lord provided me a service dog that basically was my living cane and keeps me from falling. I didn't break a bone or fall since I had him. But I got made fun of every day on that college campus that it got so bad that I'd pretend that I was blind. I would just put sunglasses on and pretend that I was the blind guy. Of course, They'd all freak out when I got on my Segway and didn't hit anything as I drove away, but uh, it was hard for me. Um, so I, I would be made fun of every moment. And I never forget, I was in college and I went to my advisor. I went to my first advisor and I said, I'd like to be a, a doctor. And they said, well, you need to pick a different career. I said, I need to pick a different advisor. So I found another one. I said, listen, I'd like to be a doctor. And they said, well, that's a good idea, but let's let's do a backup plan. It doesn't work out. So I picked another one. And I'll never forget it. My third advisor uh, at at, uh, at USF and um, looked at her and said, listen, I know I'm a young, dumb 18-year-old kid. I know what I'm going to tell you is crazy, but I want to be a doctor. And she said, okay. And she mapped that out for me. A little did I know what that was going to take. And I thought, what's the hardest thing? And I hope I don't offend anybody that's in medicine or whatever. I actually, let be honest, Garen Warwick, I don't care if I do. <laughs> I got that boldness. <laughs> I don't care if I offend anybody in this way. But I'll tell you, I hope you guys, uh, I, I want to be uh, asked back on one of, the, one of these days. Yeah, but I'll yeah. tell you, I'll just tell you <laughs> this. Good. You know, these doctors... These people, you know, I thought, who do you think you're trying to save? You're trying to save the hurt and the broken. And I went to be interviewed at, at, at certain schools and they said, you will never be a doctor because they won't come to you. I said, you'll never be a doctor. And I know seven doctors in our, our board that will fail you just because you're disability. I said, you can't say this. And they said, just because we say we like you doesn't mean we like you. And rejection started coming. Rejection started coming. And the very thing that I thought I wanted to be which I am now, I was like, what am I going to do? And as you say, the one thing I've learned is that every moment, God just reinforced that the next level to where I'm going to go, I went through so much that I could endure the hardships or the mistreatments to go to the next level. And I had no idea where I was going to go, but yet uh, God directed me to the Caribbean, which was a story in itself in which I met my wife and helped a child with cerebral palsy who was never seen by anybody on the island. And he uh, underwent three surgeries and learned how to walk. That's a story in itself. But the point is, I was brought for such a time as this. We impacted the entire island. There we are. So, um, you know, my entire life has been a cycle of what are we going to do next? But every purpose in it, I tell people all the time, don't downgrade the opportunities. There's two ways you live your life either on a stage or a platform. And stages are built for self-edification. It's about me, what I've done, how great I am. A platform is not. A platform is built to impact people and to impact and to stand. And I've learned this. I'd rather walk with a limp in Christ than with a strut in the world. That that is who I am. It's what I am. And he has given me moments to continue to show that, that hard work, gentle attitude, and perseverance, that's what it takes. And then just faith, uh, in him, and he, we're going to get this thing done. And so it just has continued to compound. This is about the 195th episode of this show, Tyler. And I'm going to ask a question that I'm presupposing is the dumbest question I've ever asked a guest. <laughs> because what you've just described, what you've endured, one of the things you didn't say that you, uh, or you did say, but it, it, it blew by quickly was, you know, doctors were saying, to your parents, hey, he might, you know, be able to sharpen pencils for a living, right? Um, you had other doctors saying, no one's going to let you become a doctor. 
you as a child dealt with doctors who didn't believe there was a brighter future for you. So my question is this, was there, my, my guess is there wasn't a whole lot of hand-wringing over what your specialty would be when you graduated from med school. Is that a fair assumption on my part that going into pediatrics because of your background seemed to be the, it seems to me like maybe that was the only um, avenue you wanted to pursue so you could be that doctor who offered hope to folks. No, that's correct. All I ever wanted to be was a pediatrician. It wasn't, this is the, the choice I made, not because I wanted to be. And I'll tell you what's so cool is because I wanted to give hope to people and you get to deal with parents and the kids. It's a family thing. And I'm a subspecialist in hyperbaric medicine too. So I do wounds and special needs children as well. And the reason I do that is, you know, these, these kids have wounds that people are going to cut off their legs. And I do general pediatrics, hospitalists. I do hyperbaric medicine. And I've, I've learned this. The reason I love it is because everything I've been through, when I can look at you and say, I know how you mean it, what other doctor can do that? And I'm, I'm the doctor with the doggy. So these kids come in and they, you know, they see that I'm different and he's like me and he's my doctor. I don't have to say a word, but when I can look at you and I look at the child who's tried to commit suicide and we saved their life. And I say, I know how you feel. I know what it's like to not feel value. I know what it's like to not feel heard. I know what it's like for the world to say you're worthless. But God says you're worthwhile. God says you're special. And sometimes the parents do too. And let's be honest, sometimes they don't. Sometimes these kids and our families, uh, I mean, our, you know, these people listening across the world, sometimes the only friends they have are friends. And so the other opposite is, well, my dad, you know, left or whatever else, right? But there's still somebody there that you can attach to and go. And now I've been through so much that, that I can say, listen, let me show you how to see your value. Let me show you how special you are. Because if I can do it, if God can do that for me, no telling what he can do for you. And so, yes, the only ever, the other thing I ever wanted to be was a pediatrician. My my love for hyperbaric medicine and that came down to because of my cerebral palsy, which is a, a type of thing that, um, you know, kind of moves in and traumatic brain injuries and things like that. And the ability to bring healing to people that otherwise couldn't achieve it. Like in wounds, you know, wounds are nasty. They weep, they smell, but eventually they become scars and we get to share those scars. And my entire body is not only a picture. If I took my shirt off, I'd have two scars here. I have a spinal scar that's 18 inches long. I'm a broken man, but yet those scars are healed and I can talk about them. And that's what I get to show people that I'm not broken, that you are special and that your circumstances don't have to define your attitude. And that's the difference that you've got to make a choice. And it comes down to us. It's a simple choice. Not every day is it easy. So I want you guys to realize this too. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. Not every day was I happy. Shoot, some days I'm not happy now. I wake up and I'm like, man, my back kills me. Or my knee gives out and I fall in the shower. I'm like, geez, where are we on that one, dog? Or, you know, I have a dog there, whatever happens. And I fall and I have my dog and it happens. But I'm not going to let anything steal my joy. Not going to let anything do it. And I hope people can see that every day that I live. I, I look for a chance to impact somebody's life for Jesus Christ, whether it be a high five or a hug or sharing my story or showing you're going to make it. And what I can do with these kids and these parents, when you have a moment of feeling sorry for yourself, right? I can't do it. You don't understand what it's like. And I'm not, we all have different stories. I got a lot of different stories in my life. So do you guys work. You got one of the most incredible stories I've ever seen when I, when I read it, right? We've all got them. But I can tell you, when I walk in that hospital room, I look at you and say, you get up, you fight, you walk, 
you do it. And I get to do those things. I get to push them like nobody else can because I have the right to, I have the platform to, and I have the authority to look in and say, I'm going to help you. But it's your choice to make a difference. And I hope people look at this as we look at the same kind of thing is don't take up your cross as a burden, as an excuse. No, take it up as a as a pillar, as a as a as a as a sign to see what I can do with my imperfections, because God can make me perfect. And without it, it's like this. And I apologize. I just got to tell you, you know, I'm a nerd. I like my my art, but life is like a mosaic. Right. And you guys know a classic mosaic. When you look up close, it looks like a bunch of random photos. Why does this go here? And why does that go there? It doesn't make any sense. But when you pan backwards, that picture is perfect. And I learned very quickly early on that my cerebral palsy, my imperfection, if you took that out of my picture, my picture would be incomplete. And I want people to realize that those there is purpose in our pain. There's a reason we go through it. If it was easy, why, why is the test in testimony? I know that sounds cliche, but that's the point. It's not supposed to be easy. All the great successes work, yourself included. All the great successes come from tragedy first. And tragedy gets turned into a triumph. Wow. I mean, and that's such a powerful testimony. Um, I mean, it's in a words family to describe just the wisdom that you've just shared. As you look back on those 20 medical schools and doctors who said you should be sharpening pencils, and I think you mentioned as an aside, they said, you know, nobody will come to you. I don't know if it gives you any sort of perverse pleasure in that those doctors and medical schools couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, it's just, you can be a good doctor and we've all, not to knock the medical profession, there are doctors who are very good technically, but where's the heart? Where's the soul? Where's the love? Where's the compassion? Am I just some other, you know, patient, you know, on some uh, bed somewhere? Am I a real human being? Is it on to the next thing that I'm going to, I'm not, not a bad mouth all doctors, but there are some who, where's the soul? Where's the heart? And it must give you some perverse pleasure to prove them wrong because you're right. As a patient, you want to feel like you have a doctor that has obviously expertise, but has compassion, has love. And rather than your disability making people run away, if there's one place where people will run to you, it's in a hospital. This is one place where patients are probably going to be mocking you as you come to them. You know, it's probably a whole lot less than high school and college. They're like, wow, especially those with challenges, right? Disabilities. They're not mocking you. They're saying, finally, a doctor that gets it and that gets me. So does it give you any perverse pleasure? to show that all those doctors and medical schools were so wrong, rather than people running from you, people flock to you, at least patients do in a hospital. Does that kind of make sense? It, it does. It's, it's funny you say that because it is, it is very humbling. And yes, I do. And I, I still sometimes get it in my own career now. Or you walk to others and I'm like, you just don't get what a privilege it is to help people. You just don't get it. You miss the mark. Like you said, I'm not knocking doctors. I got doctors that are incredible, that act just like me every day, that love people, that don't have the story I have. So there's great ones. And then there are ones that I'd never let take care of me because of the attitude. Because, and it could be great or not. And it does. It does. Because I tell you, one thing I've learned is in this world, we all have a certain value, right? You've worked hard. I went to school. We all think we have a certain value where we're, where we're owed, maybe the wrong word, but what we expect to receive. And that may be true. That may be fine. But when we lose value in people, it's when we fail. And that's what I have been a victim of my entire life is the value of a person, the spirit of a broken body. 
And it does give me uh, great pleasure when I can look at you because I'll tell you this too, the greatest honor of my life is if you ever took me out and we all lined up like the old, um, you know, prison pictures, or if we all got right. arrested, I know it's right. a crazy story, but it'll make sense <laughs> in a minute. Say we all lined up like in a, like in a, you know, a cop lineup. Right. And you said to me, I said to you, I said, listen, Gary work, I want you to guess what everybody does for a living in this lineup. Or did you guess just by looking at him? And I am up there and I'll tell you, sometimes we might be right. You might say, Oh, he's a, he's a lawyer. He's a doctor. He's whatever. Right. But Tyler Sexton, when he stands up there with his broken body and his service talk, you'd never guess that he was a doctor. You'd never guess it. And it does give me the greatest pleasure because we all think there's a certain way we should be, the white coat or how we treat people. And man, I'm sure if any of my colleagues might be uh, seeing this down the road, that might even offend them. And again, I've already established that I don't care. <laughs> but I mean that with love in the, in the sense of I think it's extremely important that we realize it's all about value and we cannot walk in this life and not see the beauty of the human condition of how God made us, the spirit he gave us, that we are special and we are unique. And that's what I get to do. And that's what gives me so much fun because I love my job because of what I get to do. And they come to me because I'm handicapped, because I'm different, because I'm special. And I get to show that to people. That's why I wear my superior t-shirts. That's why I wear my uh, superior lanyards is because it's not that I'm the superior doctor, right? It's because that they have a story to tell and they're special. And those stories bring uh, opportunity to them. And it's it's just been a, it's been a blast. I'm glad you brought up the superhero t-shirts and stuff, because for folks who are watching, for folks who are watching us on YouTube, you may have been wondering, why on earth is the co-host wearing a Batman hat and a Batman t-shirt? And I'm doing that. I mean, okay, I'm a superhero geek anyway, and you've seen me wear some of this stuff in other episodes. But for an episode that's perhaps more serious like this one, I wore this truly in honor of what I knew of, of Tyler's way of connecting with kids. Um, this is what he does. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to show solidarity with you and I wanted to spotlight that. And it, it's not going to make me feel bad that I get to wear Batman stuff for the show too. So it's a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a bunch of people listening here and you have maybe different kind of uh, crucibles. Yours is one particular kind, a incredibly challenging one. There may be other physical crucibles. As we mentioned off there, we've had people who've uh, had, you know, challenges with paralysis, paraplegics, quadriplegics, victims of abuse, discrimination, abandonment, uh, uh, loss of uh, loved ones. It's easy to get kind of angry. It's easy to say, Life is not fair. Be angry at what people did to you. Be angry at yourself. How do people have an attitude of hope amidst despair? Because there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of people that have gone through stuff and they feel like there is no hope. I'm worthless. I'm broken. You know, I'm not worth loving. And they just go in the cycle of despondency, this pit. How do you not have that kind of attitude? How do you have hope when it feels like it's it's hopeless because there's a lot of listeners that may be listening that have had crucibles that are very different, but to them, it feels like extremely painful. Sure. That's a great question. And it's real. Um, and it's easy, you know, like these are the action steps. And one of the things that I have learned is I'm going to, I'm going to choose that joy. I'm going to choose to, to be thankful because there's always something I've learned is there's always something to be thankful for. That's, I know it sounds trivial, but for me, now this is the hard part because some people may not be able to kind of step back for a minute, look at their lives and say, what can we be thankful for? But for me, 
if I couldn't fall, I couldn't walk. If I didn't get made fun of for the way that I was walking, I wouldn't be walking at all. And so it helped me keep perspective. And I think that I think that that's really what's important. You know, every day it's it's step by step, every moment because it and it's about being thankful and reframing your mind. The mind is a powerful thing. How you think affects how you act, and how you act affects how you think. So if you always say you're going to have a bad day, you're going to have a bad day. But I choose, regardless, I make it a choice, right? I make that a choice every day and say. I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose Thanksgiving. And it's not everything's perfect, but I'm thankful. Wow, today my car started, right? And I mean, and in truth of the work, like you said, some of the stuff, you know, take away the severe crucibles that people have for a minute. Even the stuff of losing your keys or getting a speeding ticket. That's the stuff that just grates at you sometimes. Like, you're kidding me? I'm late. You're sp- I'm supposed to be doing this. I can't, you know, that's the stuff that some days you're like, I just can't, I just can't take it anymore. I got bills to pay. Then you get me, now I got to pay a speeding ticket I don't have. Can't find my keys. My kids aren't listening. I'm out, right? This kind of stuff. But you got to be thankful. You got a car. See, I also learned too, that the very life that I'm living, people would love to have. And I don't mean that, but you've got to keep that perspective. And I have it a little bit easier. I say that, believe it or not, maybe some jaws are dropping. I'm thankful for cerebral palsy because my turmoil every day reminds me, my physical pain reminds me how far I've come and what and how to be thankful for. And I've used that and I've made financial mistakes. Like you are not to, and I, and I don't say this in a negative, not to that amass. And it's an incredible year, but I mean, I have, I've made bad investments. I've lost even that. It has nothing to do with my disability. I was stupid. I made a bad choice. Like I trusted this person. They took the money or whatever. Like you said, same thing. We all have those things, but I choose, but I had the opportunity to try and I learned. And I think two things fold is you got to learn from those mistakes and you've got to try to not make them and also make a conscious choice. It's not always going to be easy, but you're going to have to choose that joy, and that's going to, after 30 days, you're going to create a habit and you're going to change your life. You know, one, um, just as we begin to wind down, it's easy to be angry and bitter in life. You have lots of opportunities, if you wanted to, to be angry and bitter. Or you can choose a path of grace and forgiveness, which is, you know, be uh, forgive those who've done things to you, Forgive yourself for mistakes you made, like in your case, maybe some, you know, adverse financial decisions. Forgive a creator, perhaps, you know, how could you do this to me? Um, but just talk about how, I mean, we talk a lot about bitterness is like drinking poison. You know, you put, you put yourself in a self-made prison and clearly you have an attitude of grace and forgiveness uh, in that general sense. So talk about how important that is to have a thriving life, just have an attitude of grace and forgiveness. So it is, and that's a a great comments because it's so important because what it is, is I think it, I think it models your entire life. And I think it models your entire perspective because even when the bad happens, I always think, I always literally say, and I'm sure you can smile because you say the same thing. How is God going to use that? Cause that looks bad. Or how is God going to, wow, what am I going to do, right? I'm like, oh, no. Like I said, even back the, the financial choices or the personal or I can't get, you know, uh, in a medical school or I hurt. Like, that's what I always say is how's God going to use that? And that's just a, that's just, it, it takes time to practice. And it really is. It didn't just come naturally. Now we had opportunities. And like I said, we talk about the crucible, you know, that's what galvanizes. But I have, like in the Bible, where we talk about, you know, Daniel, he was bound and then all of a sudden he goes to the fire and his bonds were cut, right? I mean, and by the time it was all done, he had no uh, he had no scars or nothing on him, but he was free of bondage. And what I've learned is by trusting in those moments of immense uh, confusion, 
uh, immense loss, whatever it is, you find freedom in obedience. Because the more that I choose to obey, the more God has shown himself to me. And the more that God shows himself to me is the more I want to obey, the more I want to say, okay, how are you going to use that situation to bring glory to you? And if I truly believe, if I truly believe, which I do, that all things works together for his good, that he makes no mistakes. And I've lived a life as I've shown, and it's been an incredible time with you guys of how God can take what the world says, that is a terrible situation, throw that away and try again, which let's be honest, that's what the world says, abort them. They're not worth it. Take them away. It's not worth it, right? But yet you see how God can take it. And of course, we believe that that's not the truth, but how God can take that and make a beautiful picture. And he's turned something beautiful out of my life and yours all in the midst of the crucible. So I encourage people all the time. And I tell them, you've got to embrace the pain. You can't run from it. You've got to face it. Because once you start facing it and then coming through it, you're going to find that that freedom, you're going to find more freedom through the pain, more pain, more freedom than you ever see. Because now to this day, and I wouldn't care if nobody looked at me and said, I think you're worthless. I think you're nothing. And I think that was crazy. I know that what you're saying isn't true. I know you didn't say that, right? But now I know there's, I know my truths. I know what God says about me. And no matter what anybody says, I'm still going to stay humble. I'm not going to be cocky. I'm not going to do those things. But you can't shake me because my crucible did that. You can't break me. I'm still standing. And that's what I tell people. As Warwick indicated before that uh, that last question, uh, we are getting to the point where the captain turns on the fasten seatbelt signs, indicating that we're beginning our descent to land the plane. Uh, before we do that, though, a couple of things uh, with you, Tyler. One, you said something very early on, and, and I'm sure you've said it before, but it, it, it passed quickly, but I wrote it down. My disability gives me credibility, um, which I just think is is very poetic. And I added something after that after listening to you for the last 45 minutes, um, your credibility is anchored by your authenticity. Um, that really is, yeah. is sort of the, sort of the 360 look at what your testimony does for people. It's, it's, it's hard to know as a co-host of a show like this, when he can jump in with stuff, because every time I'm ready to jump in with something, you'll say something that just needs to land <laughs> and people need to ponder. They don't need me to be blathering. So um, thank you for keeping me reasonably quiet in this episode. I am going to ask you, um, you do have a book, No Such Thing as Can't. Um, how can people get that book and learn more about your story? Sure. So they can go on my website. Thank you for doing that. TylerSexon.com or any of the bookstores. It's available anywhere. Literally. So either online, Amazon, it's on Kindle, it's on my website, like I said, TylerSexton.com, uh, and also any bookstore, go in there and ask for it. And if it's not on the shelves, you can order it, and that would be a privilege. And then get in touch with us. Man, let me know uh, what you heard and how, and how, what you liked, and and we're, we're just all about connecting with people, and it's been a blast. Work. As always, the prerogative of last question is yours. So Tyler, again, thank you so much for being here. Your story really is inspiring. It is a message of hope and a message of, of grace, overcoming obstacles. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about on Beyond the Crucible is that life should be about some higher purpose, which for us, more broadly, we talk about as a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. And there's something about Everybody wants joy and fulfillment in life, irrespective of their faith and background. But to me, when you're spending your life serving people in some higher purpose, there's a joy that it gives. This, it gives you a sense of, I want to get out of bed in the morning, uh, which for you is not an easy thing necessarily, just you know, moving around and 
you know, it's not, it's, it's not just such a simple choice, but I know in my own small way, I found as I've used my story to help people, it feels like drops of grace. It, you know, maybe it makes, and you know, it's hard to compare pain to be honest, but it makes at least the pain I've gone through in some small way uh, worth it in some sense. So just talk about how living a life of significance, being other focused, yes, it gives life's purpose and obviously it doesn't heal the physical challenges, but I don't know, maybe drops of grace on the emotional or the spiritual. Just talk a bit about how leading that other-centered life, there are drops of grace in that, drops of joy that gives life purpose and meaning and at least maybe spiritually, emotionally, some degree of healing. Does that make some degree of sense? Absolutely, it does. It's actually very true and profound, and you're right. And and what I, I couldn't agree with you more. What it does is when you're able to, you know, you can't, Whenever you you try to impact somebody's life, you're not able to not be impacted yourself. Meaning, there's always transference or counter-transference, right? Always, right? So, we always have an opportunity to impact somebody when we give and we give ourselves fully and and you know sharing these stories or sharing these moments. You can't not be impacted. And what it has shown me is it's a reminder for me, especially now in my career as a doctor and counseling people and speaker and all these things. It shows I'm like that's why I went through that. It reminds me, wow, that's what God did. Cause now I can talk to this person about this, or I can talk about this. And, and it, it really uh, changes your perspective. And it reminds you that there was a purpose in all that because every day, like you said, the drops of grace, it's a reminder that if you truly focus on other people, you, your life can't be anything but possibly impacted. If you stop looking at your circumstances and start looking at somebody else's walk out of your comfort zone and come walk in mine. And when you do that, it's going to give you better perspective on how blessed your life is or how you're able to bless somebody else because of what you've gone through in your life. Either way, you can't help but not be grateful, just as you said, those drops of grace. It's impossible not to smile, give a sly smile and say, I see what you did there, Lord. I understand now. Now, that doesn't mean the the understanding was 20, it might've been 20 years down the road, you know, in the past or five years or, or five minutes, but the clarity will come. And that's what I've learned. I have been in the communications business long enough, folks, to know when the last word's been spoken on a subject, and Tyler Sexton, MD, just spoke the last word on this subject. So, listeners, until we're together the next time, please remember um, that we understand your crucible experiences are difficult. You heard Tyler talk about his crucible, his lifelong crucible in many cases. You've heard Warwick talk about his story many times too. We know it's painful, but we also know this, and Tyler elucidated that great in this episode, and Warwick has many times, that if we learn the lessons of our crucibles and we apply them moving forward, they're not the end of our story. In fact, they can be the beginning of a new chapter that can become the best chapter of our story because where that chapter leads, the ending of that chapter is a life of significance. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something from it, we invite you to engage more deeply with those of us at Beyond the Crucible. Visit our website, beyondthecrucible.com, to explore a plethora of offerings to help you transform what's been broken into breakthrough. A great place to start? Our free online assessment, which will help you pinpoint where you are on your journey beyond your crucible and to chart a course forward. See you next week.